KYW Original Podcasts. From the KYW Studios in Philadelphia, this is Cinema Obscura. When you think of the biggest pop stars of the 1980s, you usually think Prince and Madonna. But let's not forget, Weird Al Yankovic was every bit of household name at the time. Now he's a cultural icon, but at the height of his early fame, he followed Prince and Madonna in making a play for big screen success. I'm Andre Bennett, joined by Frank Trainer, and this week we're talking about the 1989 comedy UHF. We also have a couple of guests in the studio. From Why Not Radio's Words with Nerds show, we have Joey O. Welcome, Joey. Hey, thanks for having me, Andre. And we have cartoonist Kelly Phillips, author of the graphic memoir Weird Me, and maybe even the reason we're here. Kelly started the petition in the early 2000s to get UHF one DVD, so it's very likely we wouldn't be talking about it without you, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you, and you're welcome. So, UHF was released on July 21st, 1989. It was directed by Weird Al's manager, Jay Levy, who co-wrote the script with Al. Before we get into it, we have a clip just to illustrate the sort of humor we're dealing with here. Buddy, where's the spatula? Okay, kids, let's go. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a spatula? Spatula City! Spatula City! Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of Spatula City. I like their spatulas so much, I bought the company. Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under spatulas. My, where did you get that lovely spatula? So we have Weird Al playing George Newman, an aimless daydreamer who can't hold down a job. George Newman, also kind of named after Alfred E. Newman of Mad Magazine. Kelly, can you take us from there? Yeah, so George Newman can't hold a job, um, and his wealthy uncle at some point encounters a deed to a UHF station that uh, George Newman is then planted into as the station manager. Um, And somehow this UHF station kind of becomes the perfect catalyst for channeling George Newman's uh, very overactive imagination. And he starts finding success virally throughout the town with his very wacky programming. Yes. Also, there's like an ultimatum sort of situation here because his uncle won the station in a poker game Mm -hmm. and he ends up owing a bunch of money to his bookie, Big Louie. And then they have to like race against time to raise enough money to save the station. Yes. But it gets into a whole lot of weird stuff, and because Weird Al's bread and butter is parody, it's that mode, that format. There's a lot of spoofing of television, of television concepts, of various things. Some of the better bits are some of the weirder ones, a lot of the weirder ones. A lot of this movie is very weird, and uh, like there's that one scene with Emo Phillips that you've probably seen if you haven't. It's the one where he plays a shop teacher who accidentally severs his thumb during a demonstration, you guys remember that one, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. It's one of the two scenes that made it PG-13. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was the other one? The other one was the poodles being oh. thrown out the window. 
Oh. And, and Weird Al fought very hard for both of them, <laughs> even though the studio said, you'll get such a bigger audience with a PG rating. And he was like, no, I must have both of these things. Oh, yeah, the scene with uh, Trinidad Silva, the mm-hmm. Raul's Wild Kingdom. Yes, yes, teaching poodles how to fly. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Trinidad Silva, I believe, died shortly after they completed filming. Yes. Be- before they finished, even, because he's not in the rest of the movie. He-, he died in a car accident, and the movie is dedicated to him. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the other most beloved bits, the, the uh, I think maybe the most famous of all the, the shows and bits in it is uh, Wheel of Fish, just because uh, Getty Watanabe noted uh, character actor... He was on Seinfeld with Michael was, Richards. Yes, um, but a uh, uh, wheel of fish just for his, his infamous catchphrase: "Stupid!" <laughs> yes, you're so stupid. Um, they've said that that was the worst smelling set of all time. <laughs> I don't doubt that in the slightest. Kenny Watanabe. Is there anything that he did in the '80s that was not problematic? <laughs> <laughs> this. Eh, eh, eh. I mean, it's this was the, on the lighter end of caricature, I suppose. It's just yeah. 16 Candles overshadows so much. Yeah, it really yeah. does. But uh, run down some of the other, we mentioned uh, yeah, Getty Watanabe, and I just mentioned Michael Richards. Uh, run down the rest of the amazing supporting cast in this, Andre. Yes, uh, we have Fran Drescher, David Bowe, Victoria Jackson, Kevin McCarthy, Billy Barty, Anthony Geary, the aforementioned Getty Watanabe, and of course Michael Richards, who is a dynamo in this movie. I have conflicted feelings on Michael Richards. You know, you can probably guess that we won't go into here. But watching this movie is like watching it again for the first time. He's just so out there and totally dialed into his part to the point that if you were on that set, you might be afraid for your well-being because (laughs) it feels like he's that guy. I heard that he was able to turn that character on and off like a switch. Like he would be going wild and crazy, Stanley Spadowski, and then they would cut and he would be sitting in a corner like doing his crossword puzzle peacefully and being like, oh, hello, did you see the news this morning? Well, yeah, he's a classically trained actor, too. Mm -hmm. So he's like totally, yeah, he can totally do that. That's how he delivers that mop monologue. The mop monologue (laughs) is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. He has so many great parts in this. And I know, Frank, I know that you loved that character. I did. That was probably my favorite couple of scenes in the film where he is Stanley the janitor. It's just a home run. And I had known of him as an actor from a short-lived ABC late-night television program, a sketch comedy called Fridays, where he was always the kid in the backyard. He played this character, a kid in the backyard playing Army with his G.I. Joes and all that kind of stuff. And he'd blow up Ken and Barbie and all that kind of stuff. So I knew that he was wacky. And then this just confirmed it when I saw this. And I was one of the few people, apparently, who actually saw this shortly (laughs) after it came out. And I loved it. I took my kids to it. And they were both young at the time, and they loved it. There are so many stories I feel of you taking your kids to stuff or showing your kids stuff or stories that revolve around your kids' movies that are amazing and that I really want to like connect the dots with these movies. And I, like, <laughs> I was lucky when I was growing up, uh, my father would wake my brothers and I up at all hours of the night and say, come on, you got to come into the room here. There's a great movie on the Late Late Show. So the rest of my brothers would just blow them off except for me, and I enjoyed that. And I passed that same tradition down to my kids. So whenever I could take them to see what I thought was a, a classic, and I was right on this, right? Mm-hmm. It eventually became a classic or Absolutely. a cult classic. I would do it. And, yeah, I was probably a bad parent in a lot of parents' eyes because <laughs> there was no censorship in our house. You know, I'd let them watch just about anything because, you know, to me it was art, and I knew that they would enjoy good art. And luckily, they both did. I always tell people that my parents, when I was eight years old, showed me 
alien and space balls. And I feel like that describes my whole set of life interests. And you turned out great. I turned out mostly fine. <laughs> I prefer the alien scene in Spaceballs yes. to, mm-hmm. to Alien itself. Well, I had to understand the reference, yes. obviously. <laughs> that was also John Hurt, right? Yes. 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 Not again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the late and great. But yeah, this cast is amazing because you have two people who would go on to be sitcom superstars with Fran and uh, Michael Richards. Victoria Jackson was coming off her run on SNL. Was she still on SNL at the time? Yes, she was was still on SNL. Because she was Al's connection to Nirvana a few years later. Yes. Because when Al did Smells Like Nirvana, Nirvana was on SNL that week and he was trying to track them down and get permission. He's like, oh, I know Victoria. I'll call her up. And then he got Kurt on the phone famously from backstage. Oh, awesome. At 30 Rock. Yeah, because that's what snapped him out of his funk after this movie did not do very well. And then you had Anthony Geary, Luke from General Hospital, one half of the most iconic couple ever in the history of daytime drama, Luke and Laura. Desperately trying not to be typecast. Yes, yes exactly. Yes, I, he sought this role out because he thought it would be a good breakaway. There's a very good oral history about this. I read Navy Club some years ago where he talks about how he had once met with Oliver Stone about a part in Salvador. And then James Woods saw him and he's like, oh, hey, you're, uh, the, you're Luke from General Hospital. And Oliver Stone's like, Wait, what's that? Yeah, General Hospital. It's a soap opera. And then he never talked to him again. But he's really good here. He plays Philo, the chief engineer of the station, who is, I would say he's an oddball, but that's sort of discounting everyone else in this movie. Originally, Al wanted Joel Hodgson of Mystery Science Theater to play this role. Joel had been in stand-up for a long time and also a Seinfeld connection. He was very close with Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. Um, But he was just getting Mystery Science Theater started at the time, so he, he turned it down. Speaking of Jerry Seinfeld... He actually was offered the part of Bob, uh, George's best friend, but he turned it down. And then we got David Bowie, whose name is so similar to David Bowie (laughs) that I guess on IMDb, David Bowie at one point was credited with co-starring in UHF. So you got would have been good. Yeah, been good. If Al could have gotten him, so you've got like the man who fell to earth, the hunger, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, uh, UHF, (laughs) 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 the Prestige plays. But Michael Richards, I think even more than Al's movie, it's Michael Richards' movie because he is so dynamic and electric that you'd think between this and playing Kramer on Seinfeld, which debuted a few weeks beforehand, that 1989 would be his breakout year. But Seinfeld was a slow starter and UHF underperformed. Yeah, uh, just a, just a touch. Uh, so yeah, where, where were you guys? Frankie, you already told us the story of you taking the kids to see UHF. Yep. But what about you two? I remember renting it maybe the summer after it came out. Uh, our local video store, at least what my family rented from, was a local hardware store, like the Weird Al song hardware store. But it had a video section, like maybe a quarter of it. And I definitely remember renting it from there. And that's the first time I saw it. And it was one of those movies that I saw when I was 10 or 11, 12 at the time. And, and I know I saw it a few times over the years. Then we came, I became a bigger Weird Al fan a few years later. I'm like, oh, I have to track this movie down and actually see it. And I had to special order it from Suncoast Video in the King of Prussia Mall when I was in high school <laughs> to get a copy of it on VHS. My goodness, Suncoast. Brings back memories. I actually also first saw it on VHS. Uh, we rented it when it first came out. So I uh, also had that experience. And Kelly? Yeah, like many good Weird Al fans, I became a fan when I was about 13. And that's when we had to then find a VHS copy somewhere used because it had been out of print for some time at that time. I honestly don't remember where we got it, but it must have been in some box store because you couldn't really go online and track down these these used items very much yet at that time. Pre-web. There's no eBay, right? It was like baby stages of eBay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So UHF, not well-received critically, and uh, to make matters worse, it came out in the overloaded summer of 1989. Some of the movies that also debuted that summer, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon 2, Batman, Star Trek V, Do the Right Thing. Good gracious. When Harry Met Sally came out the week before, (laughs) Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Karate Kid Part 3, License to Kill, Parenthood, Dead Poet Society, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, some of those sequels. Not the best, but mostly that was a blockbuster summer, and you had the big one of that year, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> well, Orion got great early test scores for this movie, so they thought they had a blockbuster on their hands. They thought, oh, this is going to be the big comedy hit of the summer. Let's throw it in the deep end with all these other films, and it sank. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I contend that it sank not just because of the competition, but because it was well and truly ahead of its time. Definitely was. Yeah, it's one of those movies now where you can draw a straight line from UHF to Tim and Eric and pass that. Basically, a lot of modern comedy, the Adult Swim style. Robot Chicken, obviously. Seth Green's worked with Al. Um, Even uh, I Think You Should Leave, although that owes also a lot to Mr. Show, but I feel like UHF is kind of woven in the DNA of a lot of what came after. Because of that, it survived on home video and built... A uh, cult audience somewhere in the Venn diagram overlap of Weird Al fans and weird comedy enthusiasts. And that's where you come in, Kelly. (laughs) Because you started the petition to get this movie released on DVD. So tell us about it. Yeah, I, as a child of the early 2000s, um, channeled my fan obsession into creating an HTML website. And the impetus for the website was to start a petition to get UHF re-released initially on tape because it had been out of print. But I set my goals higher after a little bit to demand a DVD. So with my dozens of signatures that I received, I crafted a letter, wrote that to MGM, who owned Orion's media at the time, and... Clearly, it was a success. Yeah, we did get the DVD. <laughs> I remember being really excited hearing about the release, and I think I bought it like right after it came yeah, out. Yeah, it's like the most bare-bones DVD of all time, <laughs> but it technically it's exists. Got, it's got some stuff. It's got the commentary and the deleted scenes with Al's commentary where <laughs> he basically dumps on all of them saying, this scene sucks. This is why it's not in the movie. Oh, this scene really sucks. I remember that so well. He's a guy who knows what he's talking about with will this work or not. So what are some of your favorite bits off the top of your head here? I love uh, all the stuff with Kevin McCarthy and Channel 8 because he's so over the top. He's such a great scenery-chewing villain. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's going to 11 at all times. The parts with his son, which is uh, John Paragon, who is much better known as Jombie the Genie, although you wouldn't recognize him. He's, you would not. No, he's his <laughs> sniveling son. He's, but, Dad. Uh, I met him at a Comic-Con a few years ago, and I told him, like, I love UHF. I love you in UHF. And he told me some stories about working with Billy Barty and all the cast. And he was also on Seinfeld, as well as we keep going back to Seinfeld. Yes. Uh, he's the two guys who bully Kramer into doing at the AIDS walk and when they wanted the Anwar. That was the Soup Nazi episode. It is. Yes. Because that's where the recipes are. Yes. Um, but one of my favorite stupid jokes in the movie is when the guy who has the cowboy hat and the mustache is like, well, take that ridiculous thing off. And he takes off the mustache. It's so silly. I love it. And whenever Al goes on tour, like he is uh, right now, he shows a bunch of video clips while he's doing costume changes. And they showed something from The Last Jedi. There's a scene where Snoke tells Kylo Ren to take that ridiculous thing off, meaning his Darth Vader light helmet. And Al, like, chopped it together with that scene from UHF. And I laughed. That's, I think, why I laughed the hardest at the whole night at that concert at the Met a month or two ago. It's definitely a UHF reference in The Last Jedi. Because Ryan Johnson's mm-hmm. a big Weird Al fan. 
Isn't there it's, a video out there of him singing Yoda with oh, him? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fact. I can see that. And Kelly? Mm-hmm. I truly love Philo. I think he's just such an underrated, dry presence that ends up being super effective and important story-wise. But the scene where he's doing his show of Secrets of the Universe, uncrumpling his little piece of paper, like clearly has all this high-tech equipment, but is still unfolding this piece of paper and tells us that we're going to learn how to make plutonium from common household objects. Just kind of dropping that line and then immediately moving on to the next scene really, really tickles me, really, really hits me right in that spot. So I I love anything with Philo. One of the reasons he did that movie is also because he's a big fan of Al's. Between that and his desire to stretch as an actor. And, and as an extraterrestrial. Yes, yes. You've got that uh, big reveal in the end. It's very large Marge. Again, to tie back to Pee Wee. Yes. Uh, I love it that this movie like does kind of tie back to Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse and uh, well, yeah, Big Adventure. Because Weird Al and Pee Wee Herman are both very much cult figures of their time. There's that comedy that really is ahead of the game Kids and weird college students who would stay up till like four o'clock to watch Night Flight, they got Pee Wee. And parents were just like, because eh, my parents never got Pee Wee Herman. They never understood that. We let our kids watch Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> of course. Yes. That's, of course we did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of things being kind of ahead of their time, that's kind of what's really in right now, where it's things that on the surface seem like it's kids' media, but it mm-hmm. actually has this undercurrent of being way more oh, yeah. biting and intelligent. Yeah. And Al also did a kids' show later in the 90s, right? Yes. Yeah. The Weird Al Show. Yes. Yes. Which they just shamelessly wanted to be the new Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like CBS was like, well... We lost Paul Rubens. Give us more of the same, but watered down. But yeah. way, way more for kids. <laughs> yes. So uh, we have another clip. Actually, doing this episode, the biggest problem is that there's so much prime material to choose from. And we only have time for a couple of clips. But I digress. This is where George comes across Stanley Spadowski, played by Michael Richards, a janitor at Channel 8. George goes to visit Channel 8 shortly after getting the reins of UHF-62 because he decides, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go visit the competition. He doesn't count on Kevin McCarthy's R.J. Fletcher being such a jerk and gets kicked out of the office shortly after uh, Stanley gets fired for something he didn't do. So this is where George meets Stanley. No, no, please. It's all I've got left. Let go. This is station property. No, no, it's my mop. Let's go. Go, you idiot. That's my mop. Not anymore, buddy. Hey, are you all right? It's just not fair. Come on, forget about it. It's only a mop. Only a mop. Only a mop. Uh, You don't understand. That mop was given to me for my birthday when I was eight years old. We've never been apart. Now, now I don't even have a job anymore. After 15 years, they just tossed me out like an old bag of moldy tangerines. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, maybe you could come work for me. Really? You mean it? Sure, I guess we could use a janitor. Stanley Spadowski. George Newman. Oh, I'm mighty glad to meet you, George. Hey, I'm going to do a really good job. You won't be sorry. That's a clip from UHF, which is available on DVD and Blu-ray. Shout Factory a few years back uh, put out a 25th anniversary edition. It's also streaming on Amazon Prime and is available for rental or purchase at all the major digital retailers. Kelly, uh, real quick, tell us a little bit about Weird Me. 
Weird Me is a comic that I created that is a confessional about how I ran this website when I was a teenager about Weird Al. So it kind of details how I became a fan of Al in the early 2000s, creating this website and just sort of the things that I experienced as a fan and went through during these few years of my life that I was very deeply invested in my Weird Al obsession. And it's kind of a little bit of a time capsule of just what the internet was like in the year 2000, 2001. But it also really became comes about that very unique kind of fanhood and obsession that you have at that age in your life where you become just an absolute encyclopedia of this thing that inspires you and that you're so interested in. And what I learned throughout doing this book is was also around the time that I was kind of rediscovering that I was still a big Weird Al fan because there was a time in my life where it kind of fell to the wayside. And the book kind of becomes a journey of rediscovering these things that were really important and meaningful to you and re-embracing that and just remembering that that was something very enriching and is a core piece of you. I tell people whenever I describe this book, if you publish the embarrassing things that you did on the internet when you were a teenager, no one can make fun of you. <laughs> so it, it really is all about just embrace that weird thing that was very important to you. And Kelly, and can I ask you a question? Yeah. Has Weird Al ever thanked you for all you've done <laughs> for him? No, seriously. My honest answer is I don't think he has to. I think he's given me so much. Oh, that God. Just such a fan. Um, so your real answer to me being a longtime reporter is no. But I will say I've now made money off of my Weird Al well, fandom, so I think he's thanked me in not pursuing that. Okay, so you also gave him a copy, didn't you? I did, and he'd already had a copy. So. <laughs> yes. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, last year I got to do one of the VIP meet and greet experiences with his concert, and my only game plan was to go in and say, hey, I made this book. And when I said, hey, I made this book, he was like, oh, Kelly. And he gave me a big hug. Oh, and he told me that he already had the like old zine copies that I had originally made of it. <laughs> Um, and he was like, yeah, I read that. I really enjoyed this. It's on my bookshelf. Well, that's great because he was real close to becoming Fredo in my book. So <laughs> you just saved him. Thank yes. you. I've read Weird Me. I think it's a fantastic book. I know you have as well, Joey. Because Andre gave it to me for my birthday a year <laughs> ago. And I agree 100%. I totally related to it. I'm a few years older than you, so I was in the same like internet circles just a few years before that. And I totally related to it and really loved it. I was probably lurking and reading your comments <laughs> in Yahoo Newsgroup Digests. Usenet. While I was not part of the early uh, Weird Al internet fandom, I must say I also related to it as someone who spent a period of time growing up with the internet. I was on a Miracle Online, actually. I don't know <laughs> if that counts. It, Everyone needed their access point. Yeah, I, I made a lot of friends in the Marvel Comics chat room and just kind of all over the place, the Evangelion message board, Yo. especially. <laughs> so I felt a lot of it, too. What do you have coming up? Because I know you've got stuff coming up. I know you did the Skeletor book as well. Yes, I did a book called The Phantom of Eternia last year, and that details a very, very Philly event called the <laughs> Skeletor Karaoke Gong Show which is karaoke done gong show style hosted by Skeletor. So the book is all about how when I started going, uh, Skeletor Phantom of the opera me. So it's a retelling of how I befriended Skeletor through the journey of the Phantom of the Opera. And we're, and we're talking about Skeletor from Masters of the Universe. Yes. The overlord yes. of evil. And Andre yes. and I are both friendly with Skeletor as well, yes. with and without the skull. Yes. And we have been for a very long time. uh, He then became one of my bridesmaids, but I forced him to wear the mask. So (laughs) Skeletor was my bridesmaid. He's beaten me in rock, paper, scissors a number of times. (laughs) I will have my revenge. 
<laughs> and Joey, what do you guys have coming up on Words with Nerds? We do Words with Nerds roughly five times a year or so, so there should be another episode coming up soon. You can hear them all on demand at whynotradio.net slash nerds. We talk about Veronica Mars. We talk about all the different Comic-Cons that come through Philadelphia, the MCU. We have running gags where we try and mention Perry Gilpin of Frasier every single episode. So <laughs> She is a Philadelphia native. She is? Yes. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Her yeah, dad her, was a... Jim O'Brien was her dad. Yeah. I learned something today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't forget, Cinema Obscura is on Twitter at C Obscura Pod. Follow us for more information on our episodes, to ask questions, suggest movies to us, or just to follow the conversation. Or to read that weird thread I posted about the cockroach sequence in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. It's very gross. I didn't post any pictures. Don't worry. <laughs> don't send me any pictures. Don't at me with that. I don't <laughs> like bugs. Frank, Kelly, Joe, any last thoughts? I would just say if you haven't seen this, it's a great film. And like we've said, it's for the whole family. So kids, grandkids, grandma, yeah, they're all going to love this. Some of the squeamish might want to skip the town talk scene. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's like 10 seconds. Yeah, true. I think one of the reasons that this movie really endures also is like it's full of completely dated references. You would think that this wouldn't <laughs> right. age well. But I think one of the reasons it does continue to age well and it resonates is because the core story is actually amazingly heartwarming and sweet. And it's all about outcasts coming together and supporting one another and a community triumphing over evil. And I just think it's like a very enjoyable, joyful movie to watch every time. It is. I I got a tiny bit emotional towards the end when they're able to save the station Mm -hmm. uh, because I do love stories about oddball art communities banding together. That's why I love Glow. Just thinking that. Yes. (laughs) Joey, any uh, parting words? Just don't change that channel. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) Kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while. We got it all on Cinema Obscura. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to all of you. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Andre Bennett with Frank Trainer. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced at the KYW Studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Just call me Mr. Butterfingers.